Hi, and welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr. Margie Danshan, paediatrician here at RCH, and I'll be your host for today, and I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Anthea Rhodes. Thanks, Margie. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Amanda Stock, a doctor in the emergency department here at the Children's Hospital, and we're going to be chatting about the common causes of headaches and tummy pain in kids. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks for having me. From the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. Lovely to have you today, Amanda. I think this is a topic that's going to be really interesting to a lot of parents because we know that tummy pain, headaches are such common complaints that children have. I know for my four kids, I'd say tummy pain is at least a complaint once a week from my littlest one. Um, So it's going to be really good to talk through some of these causes. So let's talk about tummy pain first. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the, the most sort of important signs that parents should look out for if their child is complaining of tummy pain? Sure, Margie. It's such a common thing that we see. So day to day in every shift that I do in emergency, I'd see at least three or four children with tummy pain or headache. Tummy pain can be a really worrying symptom for parents. And I think it comes back to that history of kids getting very unwell with appendicitis long, long time Mm. ago before we had really good healthcare. So I feel like that's kind of the thing that parents really worry about. So what I say to parents is the most important thing really that you want to look for is how your child is moving. The majority of the causes of tummy pain are not serious and don't need urgent care. Really what we want to be looking for is how their child is moving because if a child does have something like appendicitis, which is probably the most common serious cause of tummy pain, what happens is is that they just become very reluctant to move. So they'll be sitting on the couch or on the bed and they just don't really want to get off the bed. Now that's quite different to the child that's unwell that's tired, that's lethargic and can move, but they just don't want to. When a child is developing appendicitis, what we see is just this absolute reluctance to move. And when they do move, it's very cautious, almost as if they're guarding their tummy so that they don't want to cause any more distress. And they'll often walk in a very hunched over position. Okay, that's really helpful. And so what are some of the other signs that you might look for? So movement, being very still, what else? So movement, being still. The other thing is their appetite. I mean, some children, when they're unwell with things like gastro, their appetite will go down, but it's like a persistent, a continuing loss of appetite. And then vomiting is, uh, is a really important sign. Again, very frequent thing that we see in children. We do. But this is a a different kind of vomiting. So it'll be vomiting when you don't have diarrhea. So when children vomit and have diarrhea at the same time, generally that that's pointing to something like a gastroenteritis. Which can be serious in other ways, obviously, but isn't a sign of appendicitis. Yeah. Um, So if children vomit... And the majority of the time when our children vomit, they'll have a vomit and they'll have a rest afterwards. We'll give them some fluid and an isopole. Maybe they'll vomit again, um, but later that night things will settle down. If a child has got tummy pain 
and they're continuing to vomit and it's throughout the day and they're not really you're not really seeing a decrease in that vomiting and they're unable to have some water or fluid and the pain is persisting and you're seeing things like we mentioned before of reluctance to move that's a really big red flag for me yeah, no, that's that's really helpful. And obviously sometimes these things are quite late in the picture. Mm. So by the time the tummy's really blown up a bit and very, very sore, you might be well on the way yes. to appendicitis. And But what about earlier on? It can be a bit trickier for parents to know. Yeah, absolutely. And also as parents, we're always so attentive to our children. So if our child says to us, mummy, I've got a sore tummy, our first step is obviously to give them some pain reliefs like some paracetamol or some ibuprofen. And at that point, what I would say to parents is just watch your child after you've given that simple and very safe pain relief. Because if that's helped your child, what you'll see is you'll see them moving normally, being comfortable when they they go outside, having a drink, um, maybe having something to eat. Watch those behaviours rather than ask them how their pain is. Mm. Yes. Because if you ask a child how their pain is, you're, you you may often still have a child that's uncomfortable and says they still have pain, but yet you're seeing very reassuring signs that they're actually better. Just watch how they're functioning yeah. rather than asking them. It's actually interesting you say that because mm. I think as a training paediatrician mm. many years ago, some of the wisest paediatricians that taught me said to me, Margie, in paediatrics, just stand back and observe. Yes. Yes. Look, watch. You can get much more than by even putting your hands on the child. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying. Parents can just stand back and watch their child. And Margie, what I love about this is as a parent, you know your child Better than Better anyone. Better than anyone. Absolutely. And my passion is empowering parents to be able to feel confident in caring for their children and knowing what are the red flags so that you can come and see us, you can see your GP, but you know how your child is and you can tell that they're different. Yeah, that's yeah. so helpful. Okay, so you've talked us through some of those key kind mm. of red flag signs mm. and you've mentioned appendicitis. What are some of the other most common physical causes that you see coming into the emergency department? The other conditions are, are less common but serious and worth discussing. So the, the other one that I would mention is when the bowel twists um, and it's normally the small bowel that twists. And that's not seen um, particularly frequently in children who haven't had surgery on their tummies, okay. but it can happen. And in those children, what we'll see is this persistent, very severe pain and that vomiting that I spoke of before. And it's a vomiting that despite having... Um, you know, some pain relief or even some anti-vomiting medicine that we sometimes use, it just continues. Yeah. So that's the um, the twisting of the bowel. The other condition that is really very important is um, what we call twisting of the ovary in females or twisting of the testis, which are the balls, in boys. Um, and we call that process ovarian torsion, torsion being a twist, or testicular torsion. Now, these are uncommon presentations, but they are time critical. By time critical, it means that we need to um, do surgery within a, a, a certain time frame to save the function of the testis or the ovary. 
So first I might speak about um, ovarian torsion and that's harder um, and a bit trickier than the testicular torsion, remembering that our ovaries are in the abdomen. Girls will, and it's any age group, um, will generally have very severe lower pain and the key thing about that is they have large amounts of vomiting and they even might faint or feel dizzy. I just want to pick up on something you said there, Amanda, about it being any age yes. because I think sometimes people think ovaries, testes, yes. that's got to be a teenage thing but it can happen in younger kids too. Absolutely. It's more common in teenage children but absolutely can happen in the younger children. So for boys, um, boys are a little bit more straightforward. A lot of boys will actually volunteer that their balls are sore. Depending on the age, some boys will allow their their parent to look at their balls. And what you'll notice is, is that one ball or one testis will look a lot bigger than the other and may look quite red and swollen. Some boys, and I've seen this in particularly in teenage boys, will come in and say or complain to their parents that they've got tummy pain, but actually they've got testicular pain or pain in their balls, but they may be a little bit reluctant or embarrassed to convey that to their parent or to the doctor. And that can actually refer up into the tummy sometimes can too, do. can't it? It can do. And as you yes. said, these are these are critical, time critical yep. conditions. Nature yep. was clever enough to give us two ovaries yes. and two yes. testes, knowing that if yeah. something happened and we lost one, you know, you've still got a reasonable chance of functioning. Yeah. But ideally you have both. So if yeah. these red flags are there, then they're reasons to, to you know, not waste any time. Actually, Anth, I would say if you're worried about the twisting of the ovary or the testis or the ball, this is where you bypass your GP and you come straight to emergency. Straight to the emergency okay. yeah, because it's time critical, as we discussed. Yeah. Great. All right. Thanks, Amanda. So you've covered some of those really concerning mm. conditions that can happen. Let's just talk briefly yes, about yes. some of the really common things that we see that cause abdominal pain as well. Mm. So the two that I most frequently would see are constipation yes. and, of course, gastroenteritis. Yeah. And you mentioned gastro. Really, the big clue there is going to be diarrhoea yeah. is really a sign that something's happening in the gut and that's probably what's up. In gastroenteritis, and I'm sure most people have experienced this, generally the pain that you experience is right before you're either vomiting or having diarrhoea. I'm sure if um, if those of us can remember bad gastro, it's this intense sort of crampy pain that you get before vomiting or diarrhoea. And generally that pain is gone in between. So that's a really key feature to look out for. And as you say, often children. kids might be walking around, yeah. even yeah. running around Correct. and then have an episode of pain later. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Tell us a bit more about constipation and how that might be presenting with tummy pain. With constipation, um, that can be a little bit more unpredictable. Um, often the pain that children will experience is right before they want to do their poo. Um, so they've got a poo sitting there that they're trying to get out. The 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 bowel or the rectum around where that hard poo is sitting is kind of spasming and trying to get that poo out and that's what's causing their pain. But often children will have pain at other times. Um, the real feature is is finding out from your child um, whether they're having difficulty getting that poo out. A lot of parents think about constipation as frequency. So how often is my child pooing? It's actually more about the consistency. So when children have got really hard pebble rock-like poos that they're you know, straining to get out, that points much more to constipation rather than a child who has softer poo 
that they might do a poo every two or three days, but it's just coming out quite quite easily. So while we're on the topic of constipation, we've actually had a great chat with Sebastian King all about how you might approach and treat constipation in kids, so jump on and have a listen to that if you're interested. Right, let's maybe turn to headache now and um, let's, in the same way, have a think about um, how children might present to the emergency department with headache mm. and some of those red flags, again, that parents should look out for. Yeah, I think um, it really is quite similar to tummy pain. So we're looking at our child's function. We're looking at how that headache is affecting their ability to do all the things that they usually do. So... Again, if a child has a headache and you've given them the paracetamol and the ibuprofen, prior to that, maybe they were, you know, lying on the bed. They didn't want to open their eyes. Um, they didn't want to watch their favourite show. They didn't want to watch Bluey. And you give them the, the pain relief and then an hour later, they're bright and alert. That's very reassuring. The other things I think that the, are the real red flags for me are headaches that happen in the morning. And every morning. And that can point to an increased pressure in the brain. And the thing we most worry about, and obviously most parents worry about, is a tumour in the brain. Yeah. Um, so if a child has a headache that's there every morning, that's worse in the morning, that's associated with vomiting, then that's a red flag and they need to come to the emergency department. Yeah. And I think as doctors, we've we've all had the very rare case mm. that, you know, really sticks with us yeah. where a child has presented with something like that yeah. that is a really serious and very difficult diagnosis like a tumour. Yes. Um, and the things that you mentioned really do stand out. Yes. So we see a lot of headaches, but when there's a really serious cause behind a headache, it, it does present differently. Yes. And Symptoms that are there in the morning, as you said, vomiting, other things, thinking of a patient I've seen, clumsiness. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I was saying. Having difficulty yeah. coordinating yeah. and functioning in a normal way. And these are things that actually are really pretty clear to the parent yes. as yeah. well. And I think the, the thing there is also the change. There's a clear yeah. change in the child in terms of yes. they've become clumsy or you notice they might be weaker in mm. one arm or there might be some signs on their face. So there's a clear change. That's right. So for parents who are thinking, oh, is this something serious sort of regularly, mm. it's really, really unlikely. And just to reassure them that those sorts of signs are, are very noticeable yes. In, yes. in a child. Absolutely. I think really we're looking at at a pattern and I think that, um, you know, the, the headache that is just there and isn't going away and isn't really responding to those simple things um, are, are very noticeable. And again, as you said before, parents know their kids best. Yes. So if yes. they're worried in their gut that, hang on, these things, there is a change, I'm noticing these things that you've just mentioned, yeah. then go and seek help. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. other than a tumour, then, mm. as you've mentioned, Amanda, what are some of the other physical causes of headache? Yeah, a lot of what we see is, um, yeah, is, is migraine. Yeah, so migraine's kind of thought to be more of a adult or teenager kind of um, illness, but we see children as young as three um, who have migraines. So wow, these, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think, and parents probably don't know that. Yeah, and often um, it's it's uh, genetic. So um, the parent themselves may experience migraine, and these are children again who have a headache that isn't responding to that that simple pain relief, and this persistent vomiting. Mm. 
that we spoke of before when we were speaking about tummy pain. And it has quite a big impact, doesn't it? It might start with some sort of visual things, um, some warning signs, but then it's that need for the child to go into a dark room, associated vomiting. They really shut down in terms of their normal activities. Okay. And then the other thing that we really wanted to talk about was if a child had a bump to the head. Yes. And then again, there were signs in the next day or the days after. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So a lot of the time, um, I mean, kids are up and about um, falling over and... um, a lot of parents are bringing their children in knowing that they've had um, a fall or a fall off a bike, fall off the couch. You you may see that the child has a headache. You may see that that headache persists. Well, if you see that that headache persists for, for more than 24 to 48 hours and the child really hasn't got back to their normal level of function that's a sign to seek medical help. Okay, all right, good. So just to summarise that, I guess, again, it's really looking at a child with headache, uh, you know, are they able to move, how are they functioning, and then how are they responding to simple pain relief and then potentially seeking help, you know, if they've got some of those signs you've outlined. All right, so if we stand back from that now and we say, all right, we're not so worried about all of those signs, they aren't present, but of course the child still has Mm. the headache or the tummy pain and it's still very real. How do you approach that with parents? Yeah, and I think that's the biggest challenge for parents. I think the most important thing is that you, the parent, need to feel comfortable and reassured that you can safely look after your child at home. Until you get to that point in yourself, you won't be able to adequately reassure or settle your child because children are like sponges and they pick up on our words, but most importantly, they pick up on our body language and our and our behaviour. So what I would say is I would encourage you as a parent to seek medical advice until you're very clear that you're safe and confident to look after children at home. And we regularly have parents come into ED. They may have seen the GP and the GP um, may have done all the right things, but they don't really feel comfortable. And I thank parents for coming in because then it's our job to allow you to feel safe. Once you feel safe, then you convey that feeling of calmness to your child. Sometimes that's all that needs to happen. The next step is looking at how we break the cycle of panic and anxiety when we have pain. So we've all had pain and there's our body's response to pain is, I feel uncomfortable, I have pain. But then then there's a sort of a panic that goes with it. Oh my God, when is the pain going to go? What is this pain? Am I going to have this pain forever? And children will experience that and they often can't convey that. That will make them feel panicky. It will raise their heart rate. It will make them breathe faster. So as a parent, there's a couple of different strategies to how we can do that. The first is to divert the child, your child's attention away from their discomfort. So it may be instead of them focusing on their tummy, let's do something that you love And for every child, it's different. And you as a parent know, it might be watching Bluey, which is my favourite show at the moment, even though my kids are older. Um, It might be listening to some music. It might be reading your favourite book. It might be having your pet on your lap and gently stroking your, your, your puppy or your kitten. And pets are incredibly powerful. So distraction, essentially. Distraction. Mm, yeah. The movement of focus. And reassurance. And reassurance. Mm. Yeah. Now... That works for a large number of children, but for some children, 
that doesn't work. They're so much in that panic cycle that they can't shift their focus to being distracted. That's when we want to encourage them to slow their breathing down. And they're the children that will be in this very, you know, stressed state and and sometimes even hyperventilating. Mm. And so as parents, what we can do is... Uh, encourage our children to slow their breathing down. And there are many different ways to do this. One of the ways can be imagine a beautiful birthday cake and lots of candles on your birthday cake and you choose the candles. Are they pink? Are they rainbow? Are they gold? Now what I'd like you to do is just very slowly breathe out all the candles on your cake. You might slowly breathe all of them out or just one at a time. And so you can just see that's a slowing down of everything. I'm feeling calmer just listening to you, Amanda. (laughs) I know about everyone else out there. It's interesting. A lot of adults will talk about counting, you know, count your breathing. In my experience, counting doesn't work for kids. Kids like to use their imagination. Um, So, um, you know, blowing, imagine that you're blowing bubbles, you're slowly blowing bubbles outside and the wind is carrying the bubbles away. Now, again, that can work beautifully for some children. There's a point at which none of these things work. And the child is so worried and in so much pain that you as a parent, even though you're remembering all the things that the GP said, you're remembering what I said in emergency and your child is still highly distressed, don't persist. At this point, put your child in the car, say, let's go to the hospital and let's let the hospital look after mm, you. Yeah. And often that can be very containing. And we see a lot of these kids um, come in. And often what we need to do is actually give quite strong pain relief mm. just to break the cycle. I th- think that's important because this pain is real, Absolutely. isn't it? So one of the things that we talk about, and we've talked a lot about just now, there's physical causes mm. and then there's non-physical yeah. causes. and. As doctors and, you know, health professionals and parents, we're good at thinking about the physical causes because we can picture those and we can, you know, go through the tick box and rule them in or out. And most of the time, those things are going to be ruled out. And then we're left, though, with a child who's still in pain. And sometimes I think parents have an experience where then they're feeling like this pain's not real. Mm. Or, sure, that's all helpful that you've ruled out the serious things, but what do I do now? And they're stuck in a cycle and really finding it very hard to be in a place where they can break that at home with their child. Yeah, and to not feel in any way. I've had so many parents come in apologetic about, you know, I've been told that this is, um, you know, this isn't something that's serious, but, you know, I can't settle my child and I don't know what else to do. And no one should ever feel like they're wasting our time. If your child is distressed and you can't calm them at home um, and you've used all your strategies, you can't possibly be expected to feel calm Um, then how can you calm your child? And I guess the only other thing I'd say then Mm. is once the acute pain has settled, Mm. whether it's at home or by coming into the emergency department, standing back and looking Mm. at, well, why is my child having tummy pain or headaches? And then having a think about what some of the other triggers might be, whether it's bullying, friendship issues. Yes, and sometimes those causes are 
are harder to deal with sometimes much than harder. things like appendicitis. Much more common yeah. and much harder. Yeah. But obviously really important mm. and, and I think, no less serious. <laughs> yeah, I think I would say um, we noticed that before school went down after um, – when school was about to go back after the first lockdown, the, the weekend before we were seeing huge numbers of children with tummy pain and headache where we couldn't find a physical cause. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's one of the reasons why mm. we're really talking about yeah. that today. Yeah. All right, Amanda, thank you so much. I'm afraid that's all we've got Mm. time for today, but I think it's been really helpful to think about some of those physical causes of headache and tummy pain and those red flags when parents should think about going straight to the emergency department or to the GP. And then, of course, if it's a non-physical cause, how should they approach it? How could they manage it? And then, you know, really still taking it as seriously. But perhaps it's going to be a longer journey to actually getting on top of some of that pain and also remembering that these things might come and go and you're going to have to revisit your strategies and ways that you can actually tackle them over time. And my parting comment would be as parents, trust your trust your instincts. Yes. Yeah. Thank trust you so much, Amanda. Pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform and leave us a review. You can also find additional information about headaches and abdominal pain through our Kids Health Info website. A link will be on the episode notes. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.